Amen. So excited uh, to be here. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Um, on your seats, go ahead and grab those right on your seats, um, and, uh, or you can follow along on your phone, um, or you can just listen. That's cool, too. Uh, whatever you feel comfortable doing this morning. But we're going to be in Matthew 2. We're going to be uh, we're in a series called Fresh Eyes, and what we've been doing is has been looking at the Christmas story through some fresh eyes um, and through the eyes of the characters that the Christmas story is written with. And, and here's what the reality is. If anyone of you wrote the Christmas story, you wouldn't have written it the way God wrote it. Um, and, and many of us, for, if we have to be honest even about our own lives, we probably have wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have written our stories the way God has written our stories either. And so what we're trying to do is have fresh eyes out of our story, fresh eyes of the Christmas story, and ultimately we want to be able to trust that God can write good stories. Regardless of the plot twists, regardless of the crazy characters, uh, regardless of all the different potholes that we hit, God can write your story. He can be trusted to write your story. And so what we're doing is just, uh, is just hanging out with some of the characters that we find in, in the Christmas story and just learning that God is a trustworthy God. He's a trustworthy God, and he's working in us, working through us to see all this stuff come about. So we're going to be hanging out with the wise men uh, this morning and, and having a whole lot of fun there. You guys ready? I don't know if you are. You ready for some serious... We're going to, we're going to, go, we're going to deep di- do a deep dive into some history today, all right? And you're like, really? It's two days before Christmas. I'm fried. Yeah, we're going there. We're doing it. We're doing it. So ready or not, here we come. We got a map. And you're like, get me out of here immediately. Gosh, okay. So you got to ask the question, who are the wise men, right? Uh, were the wise men just like patiently waiting down the road for their turn in the pageant? Or did they have a story, right? When we look at Matthew 2, we have to figure out what in the world's going on. And we have to figure out, well, man, who are these wise men? So the, the wise men, let me just do some debunking here. Um, there probably were more than three of these people that showed up. So there weren't three. Um, there were probably a whole lot more. We'll get to that more in a second. Uh, but but be, tradition typically puts three there because there's three gifts and we are simple creatures and we like to do that together. Uh, and, and so and then, and then apparently there was some sort of, someone took a picture of the nativity and we've been trying to recreate that over the last 2,000 years. And so, but there's probably way more than them and they weren't kings. They definitely weren't kings. So that song, We Three Kings, historical jump, but, you know, we sing it anyway just because it feels good at Christmas time. But, but we, what we do is, but with these, these folks, they were coming from a specific place, and they were coming from the nation of Persia. Persia was the eastern part of the world at this time. There's, you know, the world was, was not very, uh, you know, developed or, or found even, but there's two major empires, the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. And guess what? It was like Boston versus New York. It was like Yankees, Red Sox in uh, the Middle East at this time. There's like some serious stuff going on. And so it, you have this um, major, inter- this is right where, right in this purple section here is where Judea is. And this is where Bethlehem is. This is where Jesus is being born. He's right here in this section, right in the, right in the, the nation of Israel today. Okay, are we tracking so far? We got, did I lose half my crowd during this party? Okay, so you have this interaction between these two countries. The wise men, they come from Persia. Persia is made up of tribes of people, just like Israel is. The Magi is what the, the Greek word is that, that, that describes this group of people, these wise men. The Magi were the priestly and religious tribe uh, from Persia. All right, that's my sermon for today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
But just like in, in Israel, you had the Levites, the Magi were the, the priestly tribe from Persia. Now, they had some very specific roles to play. They had a priestly and religious role. The priestly and religious role that they played for their country was that of, uh, they, they performed sacrifices, they believed in one God, just like the Israelites did. Uh, they, they actually were the source of wisdom for kings. And so when kings needed to make a decision, they would call the magi in in order to interact with them to get their wisdom on a specific decision. Um, and what happened, and more so, they would often be the, the ones to translate prayers, translate dreams. They all, and they had a, a kind of a hybrid of an old religion that was called Zoroastrianism that actually has some of the basic roots of Islam packed into it. Okay? So they start there, real crazy hybrid of a bunch of stuff. And they begin uh, to, to interact religiously with the nation of Babylon. They rise to power, uh, like early, like you know, right around 1000 BC, and they begin to uh, have some serious information, this, some serious power within this country. And they, they had a whole, they even had their own set of scriptures that was called the Law of the Medes and the Persians. And so this is like a big deal. Religiously, they served a big purpose uh, for the nation, of, for the empire of Persia. On the other side, they also had a governmental role. They served a judicial uh, role for the nation of Persia. What they did was, they, from, this, from, the tribe, from the Magi tribe, they would pull 12 or so judges that would serve on a bench that served as the judicial uh, arm for the, for the empire. They often kept kings in account, they tried to, as much as possible, keep a king, uh, hold the king accountable for the decisions that they made. Apparently, kings have a hard, you know, monarchs have an easy time just, you know, getting rid of people um, when they begin to make decisions or say things they don't like. But they tried to hold the king accountable. But here's the thing. This tribe was solely responsible, the Magi tribe was solely responsible for finding the king when there was no king. When there was no king, and at this time when Jesus was born, Persia did not have a reigning king. So their job was to go find a king. Are we tracking this morning? Uh-huh. So this group of people, very powerful group of people, very politically, uh, in, uh, very politically powerful group of people that were involved in the nation of Persia. And they began... Uh, they, they had a very you know, unique history that we'll get to in a second. But this group of people mattered very much. And Matthew's trying to tell us something very specific when it comes to Jesus. And so let's pick up our Bibles. This is where we're going to start off today. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About, the same, about, the time, so about that time, some wise men, that's the Magi, from eastern lands, which is Persia, arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? I love that. This nation of Israel, real fast, this nation of Israel that's like who they're looking for, right? And you have these priests that come from another country. They're like, hey, the Messiah's going to be born tonight. And then Herod's like, he is? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. 
Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star, uh, the, the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when it was the time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So here's the thing. These magi, they come from the east, and they, they have an interaction with Jesus. They meet him, okay? And this has some great hope for us. When we can trust God to write our stories, eventually we're going to be led to Jesus. Eventually we're going to interact with Jesus. And, and when you meet him, everything's going to change. And so when God is writing your story, as God is writing your story, you're going to meet him in a new way, in a fresh way, in a completely different way. It's going to change everything about your existence, everything about who you are and everything about the time that you find yourself in. And so I, and I think, here's the, here's the thing, ultimately for, for the wise men, what they're going to teach us is that who we're seeking determines where we're going. Who we're seeking determines where we're going. All right, so when we track along on that, we've got to see that where and who we're seeking will determine where we're going. And so here's a few things that change when you meet Jesus from the story of Magi, from the story of the Magi. Number one, your past comes into, the, comes into focus. Your, fa- your past will come into focus. And here's the, here's the thing. Here's, let me give you some, a little bit, let me build this story out a little bit more. The Magi, you've got to ask the question, why in the world are the priests of Persia searching for the Messiah in Israel? I'm glad you asked that question. That's why we're here today. That's amazing that you had that question when you came to church today. Why in the world would they, these guys, like there's no reason this guy, these guys should be looking for Jesus. There's none. Unless you have a unique history like the Magi. Here's what happened. There's a man named Daniel in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the nation of Babylon, they conquer, and, uh, they conquer Israel. Israel um, then is led into captivity into the nation of Babylon. Israel, um, they, they are pulling all the best people, the best crops, the best products out of Israel into Babylon so that Babylon can get stronger. Babylon used to be the, the nation of Persia. Persia ends up uh, conquering Babylon. Daniel was one of these men, these Jewish men, that go to Babylon with this captivity. And, 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 uh, and Daniel is very smart. He has an aptitude that's through the roof. He's probably pretty good looking. Everything, everything we all hate, right? It's one of those guys, right? Just kidding. Man, you guys are tough today. We'll get there. That's all right. That's all right. He's a good looking guy, young guy, very smart, and he has a gift of interpreting dreams. Now he gets into Babylon, and, the ki- and he, get, he gets placed with a group of astrologers, this is what Daniel one, chapter 1 says, astrologers and dream interpreters, right? And he begins to interact with them because that's you know, where he's gifted, he's smart that way. And he finds himself in the king's courts. That group of people that Daniel was placed with was the Magi. That's where it starts. 
Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, begins to have a dream, and he's just completely mortified by this dream because it's all about how he's going to roll out of power. And so he, he says, okay, I need to pull in my dream interpreters, the magi. I need to pull the magi into the king's courts, and they need to interpret this dream for me, but he gives them a caveat. He says, if you can't interpret the dream for me, I'm going to rip you limb by limb. That's a motivator, right? Merry Christmas on that one. Holy cow. And so Daniel goes, what's the deal? Let me Tell him I will have an interpretation for him. And then he goes and prays. That will lead you to some prayer, wouldn't it? Like You'd probably change the way you pray if someone told you you're going to be torn limb by limb if you don't have an answer for me. Yeah, I'm going to get on my knees a whole lot harder. So he goes and he prays, and God gives him the answer. And he gives Nebuchadnezzar the, the, the whole interpretation for his dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed by Daniel, he makes him the head of the Magi tribe. Are we tracking so far? So Daniel is a Jewish man. He's not part of this religion. He's a Jewish man. He knows the prophecies of the Messiah. He knows that they deeply believe the world is broken. The Messiah is going to come and put everything back together. And as part of his religion, part of his identity, his, his DNA, his makeup as a person is to desire this Messiah that's to come. And so what he would have done is begin teaching the Magi about the Messiah that is to come. And then they, they stay in power. He rules for about 70 years until King Cyrus comes. And he, and he rules for that entire time, baking the, the Magi tribe in the tradition of the Messiah. Now, the, the, the Magi, they were, they were a pagan group. Um, but they, they've learned now at this time to believe, like, they call them to look for this other Messiah. Look for this thing. And so he begins to, to, to develop that in them. When, when Jesus comes... They have come to expect when he's going to come and where he's going to come. And through a completely different religion, Jesus finds them. What happens is you look at the last 700 years of their life and it begins to make sense. This was a story that, that God was writing for 700 years. From when Daniel started all the way through when Jesus was born. Are we, are we together here this morning, right? For you, you have to realize how incredibly meaningful this is. For some of you, your stories are not at when Jesus was born. You're at when Daniel was made, made the head of the Magi. Your story is just starting. And throughout your life, you're going to have these moments of redemptive eyes. You can look at your past and say not about where you, you saw all sorts of pain and all sorts of breaks and all sorts of, of destruction, but you, in death, you, what you're going to see is all these little moments where God got you to exactly where you needed to be. Your past will come into focus when you meet Jesus. You, you literally will begin to rewrite the history of your life when you can look back and say, when that moment happened, it wasn't just about that. It was really about, it got me to this moment. And that moment gets me to this moment. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in college, um, there, was a, there was a kid that I was, I was in a band, because college band, right, obviously. Um, I was in a band, and the, the drummer of the band, um, at the time, he needed to, uh, he, was, he was in a class, and, and man, they had this extra credit assignment. The kid, the kid was a good student. And uh, he, he had an extra credit assignment, and he didn't have any time to do it between rehearsals and getting ready to leave and all that fun stuff. And so he plagiarizes the, the extra credit assignment. Crazy. Like, it, it, he would have, no one ever would have ever thought about this. 
He, plagiar- he literally like copy-pastes it, turns it in. They catch him. He loses an entire scholarship and gets kicked out of the band. It was like this painful moment for everybody. We were one of our best friends. And so there was this, we were like, okay, well, we still need a drummer because we're getting ready to travel for the college and, and we need to get, you know, get going. So we had this one guy that was available, ready to go. His name was Peter. I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago, a few months ago, when Peter Good came and spoke here. Uh, Peter Good's one of my best friends at this point, at, at this moment, but he literally is, uh, <laughs> like he's literally uh, the only one that can do it. Peter comes in, he learns all the songs in like four days and, and begins to, uh, uh, get ready for us to start you know, on tour. We go through the entire summer, the last booking of the entire year that we had. We were not going to travel anymore. Like we did not exist any longer after this one booking. It was at a church called Glad Tidings Church in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, and for, for me, that was my first uh, job out, right outside of school. That's where I met Connie. And that's where the boy... <laughs> I know, that's... Let's be honest, right? Because that's... That is... That is 100% deserving of that response. Like, Brandon finally met Connie, and his life got interesting. That's where I met Connie. That is where I met Connie. That's where my my boys were born down there, and that's where our family began to get formed. And it didn't, if it didn't start in that moment through this weird moment of plagiarism, now the now the, the kid that 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 got the the uh, that, that got in trouble for all that, he had a really tough few months. But the Lord ended up using his story in a completely different way, which is you know, a, a, a new, it, it was a real good life changer for him. But my point is this, that when you meet Jesus, when you follow him, you'll be able to see literally individual moments. When you trust God for the direction, when you seek him in that, you'll see all these little moments that change everything. For me, I can go back to little strings of moments, literally one interaction in some cases. That completely changed everything. Because God, when you seek him and you find him, he will change the roots of your family. It will change the, the past that will come into focus. For some of you, it's family. You might be doing generations upon generations of struggle with a specific addiction or a specific depression or a specific type of sickness, a specific type, like maybe a specific type of demeanor or something that's, that's just been plaguing your family for generation upon generation upon generation. When you meet Jesus, you'll be able to see this completely new string and God's going to use you to completely change the next generations to come. Because when you meet Jesus, your past will come into focus. And for these magi, they started 700 years ago. And here Jesus is the answer to what started long ago. Are, we, are you with me? Right? Come on. Four of you. Praise God. It's amazing. So when you meet Jesus, your past will come into focus. Number two, uh, your, present will shift, your present will shift perspective. Your present shifts perspective. And so here's, so the, here's the deal. These magi show up, and King Herod loses his mind, and here's why. Um, these guys are the king makers. They're the king selectors. And so why in the world would the king selectors of another country be showing up to your country who already has a king and an emperor looking for a king? That brings some massive political like, conundrums for King Herod. He's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And here's the realities of this. King Herod is an older guy. He's getting ready to die, actually, at this point. Caesar Augustus, same thing. In the, in the Emperor of Rome, the Empire of Rome had zero, uh, Ro, the, Ro, the Roman army had no general at this time. 
So we had all these little moments that are like, okay, something big is about to happen. They fight in Judea. Like, that's where the last three battles were. And so King Herod, starting, he's starting to figure out, like, there's something happening. There's something that's going to happen here, and it's freaking me out. At worst part, they show up and they say, um, I'm here to worship the king of the Jews. Guess who the king of the Jews were? was? King Herod. So if you show up, right, you're like, hey, by the way, I'm going to worship the new king of the Jews. Herod's like, I'm the king of the Jews right now, and I'm going to do the new king of the Jews? Like, what's going on? And so you can see Herod, like, kind of putting all the pieces together, and he goes, wait, 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 I got the kingmakers coming from another country at a time when my army does not have a general, and you're coming to worship the new king of the Jews, yet I'm the king of the Jews, and I can just imagine Herod has this face. No. No. Get out of here. Right now. Get out of here. No way. And so what happens is, what Matthew's trying to do here, oh, this is what happens. So King Herod, what's he, what does he do? Who does he call in? Matthew 2, verse 4. He called the meeting of the priests and the teachers. The Magi, what are they? Priests and teachers. He calls the Jewish version of the Magi to come have a meeting because something's going on. And he's saying, hey, where's the, where's the king of the Jews supposed to be born? He goes, oh, Bethlehem. He goes, oh, okay. I've got to figure this out. You're here to do that tonight? Today? Like, today's going to be the day? And so what Matthew's trying to do here with the story of the Magi, he gives you two very clear examples. The, follow, like the, the people who were supposed to know the Messiah was coming, no clue. The people who came from far away, worshiping the stars, astrologers by nature, like horoscope people, they're here to worship them. And Matthew's giving us a very clear example. You can either be like the people, who, be like Jesus' own people, and not receive him as the Messiah, or you can crown him king of kings and Lord of lords, and worship him like he's supposed to be worshipped. You can receive him or you can't. There's really not much of a middle ground. There's a very clear distinction that Matthew's trying to make. Jesus is so royal. Jesus is such a king. He's the king over all kings. He's the king over every nation. This is a major statement in this time frame when everyone had their own little gods. Everyone had their own little religions. Everyone had their own kings. He said, no, 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 not only is Jesus the king of the Jews, but he's also going to be the king of all people. He's going to be the king of the Gentiles too. He's going to be the king of Persia. He's going to be the king of Rome. He's going to be the king of everybody. So much so that I started this story 700 years ago. What started 700 years ago is going to come to fruition today. And so this whole story is coming to, it, to its climax here at the manger. And what does it pull out of the hearts of these wise men? Worship. Joy. Now, I don't know where you're at today. You, you could be coming to the climax of a story that could be painful, it could be awesome, it could be whatever the case is. 
But at the climax of the story, when you meet Jesus, what rises out of the hearts of men? Worship. It's this statement that's saying, you are the king of kings. And I don't, I don't know what my story is. I don't know. I don't, I actually, to be completely honest, I hate my story. I hate everything that's going on right now. And honestly, I'm pretty mad at you, God. If I have to be honest with you, if I have to say that, can I say that in church, right? I don't know. If, if I'm looking at my story, I'm looking at everything, I, it makes me not want to go to church. It makes me not want to do these things. It makes me not want to engage in all of that. And when you see all of this, they still show up and they pull worship and joy out of them. And so you have this, this whole thing. Their whole presence shifts perspective. And they find the one they're looking for. They find the king over all kings, the one over all people, the one that's literally going to save the world and put it back together again. And it brings them out. It brings out of them hope and joy. And so the clear distinction is this. Are you going to receive him or aren't you? Are you going to receive him or aren't you? Because when you do, what comes out of your heart is joy. And so the question is, what does that look like for you? Now, I'm not going to be a pastor up here that says, uh, you know, here's the reality. Everyone should praise God all the time, right? Because uh, honestly, I wouldn't even believe myself half the time. Because the reality is, life is painful. And we all have these weird stories from time to time that take these left and right hand turns. And so joy isn't always the word that I use. Because, quite frankly, like if the really Christian thing to say is, oh, I got joy all the time. But the human thing is, we don't. Come on, can we, can we be real? For like three of you, right? Come on, like let's be real. It's not. It's not always joy. But you know what I've found to be joy that pulls joy out of my heart all the time? Is that God is good. And that I don't define good. And that although my story feels like it's not good, God's going to make it good. Whatever that looks like. Whether it starts 700 years ago, for you it could have started 10 years ago, maybe it's this year. God has a way of redeeming every part of our story so that our, sh- our present will shift its perspective away from ourselves and onto the worship of the King of Kings. Are we tracking together today? So this Magi, these Magi are so important because what happens is this. Their past comes into focus. The present shifts perspective, but then their future changes direction. Here's what verse 12 says. It says, when it's time to leave, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Um, you know what's amazing to me about the Christmas story is how many times there was interruptions in the story. Like, I feel like there's more times that God spoke to people in dreams here in this story because it was so crazy, right? Like, half the time, all the stuff that's going on, like, it would take God to visit me in a dream to actually, get, to actually feel like, okay, I feel like things are going on here. But they visit, God, visits, God visits them in a dream and says, hey, go home a different way. And they go home. One, 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 one translation says not, it wasn't to their own country, but it was home. They went home in a different 
way. And this, this word is directional. The word that's used for different ways is directional, meaning like they just, they, instead of taking a left, they took a right. But, but many scholars believe there's, a, there's actually a word play that they were making at this time. It wasn't just about the route that they took home, but that it was about the change that they experienced because of worshiping Jesus. So they went a different way home, but they also went home different. For the Magi, they found their king. They found the king of kings. They found the one they were looking for. It wasn't just one king on a whole slew of other ones so that we can use them when we need them. He was the king of all kings. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was the one that they had been looking for. The one that God had started their journey 700 years ago and eventually finds them. This looks different for every person. God literally had to use this worship, this astrology, weird thing, to get their attention. It gets their attention and gets them to Jesus. For you, it might have been not been that. I have friends right now that are, are missionaries in the 1040 window in the whole Middle Eastern section there. And they, they routinely, this would freak me out one time, but they routinely tell stories about how, how God visits people in their dreams in order to get them to take a step towards them. There's one story where, where, God, where this, this, uh, this Muslim was praying and it was in his prayer time that he saw the number 772, saw a house with 772 on it. He walked in. Um, he walked over to the house right after he was done praying. There's a Christian prayer meeting happening in that house. He begins to join the community and gets saved that afternoon, starting in prayer as he's praying to Allah. He went home a different way, a completely different way. Because when you meet Jesus, you're going to change. When you meet him, Things are going to happen. Things are going to be different. Their future, their entire future changed direction. Their whole life changed as a result of meeting Jesus. So one question I often ask myself is when, it, when I'm struggling with a decision, is in light of my past experience, in the light of the redemption that God is making in my past, in light of my current circumstances and all that's happening currently and the worship and the goodness of God that I'm experiencing and the joy that's being pulled out of my heart even though I don't feel like it. And the future dreams that I have, this call that God has placed on my life or this, this desire that God might be doing something in me. What does he want me to do? In light of my past experiences and current circumstances and future dreams, what is God asking me to do because for, for these wise men man they, everything changed they, they realized okay the whole my whole past makes sense now this whole idea of a messiah over the last 700 years the, 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 their whole current circumstance they shift all of their worship to Jesus and the joy and the worship that gets pulled out of them and, and then you, they, they, their whole direction changes they go home not just a different route but they go home a different way and for us as followers of Christ, we begin to see that, we, that the same story that God is writing, that if we seek Jesus, we will have a direction. That when we seek him, our stories will begin to have shape and take form and have purpose. 
It's not just about this, this, these, these broken little individual stories or these little moments that don't mean anything. No, but everything is pieced together as God makes the goodness and the glory of his name be pulled out of our stories. Are we tracking today? And so Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Philippi, he puts it this way in Philippians 3. He says, man, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Isn't it the same type of thing that this man, they wanted to know him. I just don't want to know about him. I want to know Christ. I want to know him like a person. I want that passion and that drive. The stories that have been after Jesus in our life. I want to know him. And I want to experience the mighty power. And I want to suffer with him. How many, how many of that statement made it into your prayer time this week? I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He says, I want to experience new life in Christ. And he says, I'm going to suffer at times, and I'm going to have struggles at times. My story is going to be terrible. It's going to have plot twists and characters. I'm going to have all sorts of different human experiences. He says, I just want to know him so that I can have new life right here in the midst of this one. He says, so I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things, or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, man, I'm going to make you right. I'm going to change you. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. So he says this, right? And for the past, I'm just going to lay that down. All of my achievements, all of my pain, I'm going to let God redemptively move me into my present so that I can look forward to what lies ahead and press on today. How do we press on today? As the Magi teach us, we worship. We declare how good God is even though we don't feel it right now. Our emotions will come as our mind begins to shape that. They declare that he's the king of kings. Paul says, I want to know him. And so when our stories don't make sense, when our stories are full of plot twists, when, our story, when we don't trust God to write our story, we have to say, you are the King of Kings and you are the Lord of Lords. You will redeem my past. You will shape my current circumstances and you will give me direction for the future because who I seek will determine where I go. And so I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. God started something in you maybe 700 years ago and he's going to bring it to completion. Are we tracking this morning?